Hello and welcome to the Hope City Church Podcast. We're always so encouraged to know that God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please send a message to lifechange at hopecityonline.net. Now, let's prepare our hearts for a powerful message out of God's Word. Earlier this year, I had the uh, distinct privilege of taking my family on a really, really cool family vacation. We went on a cruise um, down to the Caribbean, and um, we had been, my wife and I had been on a cruise to the Bahamas before, and so we wanted to do something different because we had been there. We had seen that. We had been to Freeport. We had been to Nassau. We thought that was cool. This time, we were actually taking our kids with us, our eight-year-old son, our six-year-old son, and our four-year-old daughter, which were the children we had at the time, and, um, and, and we were taking them with us, so we said, we want to do something different, so we went to places that we had never been before. Um, we had never been to Cozumel. We had never been to Grand Cayman. And we decided that we were going to go um, on a, a kind of an adventurous family vacation. And that's exactly what we did. Went on the cruise. Um, it was awesome, by the way. If you ever get the chance to go, you absolutely need to go. If you've never vacationed with three children under 10, it is an experience that everybody should have to suffer at some point in their life. Um, but it really is. It was, a, it was a great time. It was a great trip. One of the things that we found interesting, though, is that when you go to places like Freeport or Nassau or Cozumel, like there's all kinds of stuff to do, right? There's shops that you can go shop in. Um, there's caves that you can go explore. There's all kinds of cool water activities. You can swim with the dolphin. You can do the whole deal, right? There's all kinds of stuff to do. But when you show up to this little place called Grand Cayman, you recognize very quickly there's nothing to do. Like it's just a little island and it serves one purpose, housing the money of people in America who don't want to pay taxes on that money. And so it's just this little island um, and there's literally like nothing to do there. It's a very small island. It's a very wealthy island. Um, It's very, very different from a lot of what you see throughout the rest of the Caribbean. But we showed up. Uh, we, we, we got off the ship, uh, we got on a van, went down, we said, we want you to take us to the prettiest beach in Grand Cayman, which is exactly what they did, and the reason we wanted to be taken to the prettiest beach in Grand Cayman is because we wanted to be able to bust out our phones and Instagram our toes in the sand at the prettiest beach in Grand Cayman to be able to make everybody back here jealous that we were actually chilling while you guys were at work, and so anyway, like, we were, we were trying to make a moment out of it, but here's what I learned really quickly, when you try to go to the prettiest beach in Grand Cayman and there's nothing else to do, that's awesome for 15 minutes, but once you get your Instagram filter on and you get that mug uploaded you're sitting there and you're looking at each other and you're like we got eight hours left like what in the heck are we going to do here for eight hours and we got these kids and they were having fun at first and then like 15 minutes later they weren't having fun anymore because with kids at first is literally only 15 minutes if you've ever taken your kids to the beach you know they love playing in the water they love doing the sandcastle deal but 45 minutes tops is enough like they're just not interested anymore particularly young kids they've got sand in places they didn't even know existed and now they're all of a sudden freaking out wanting to go and get a shower but you can't get a shower because they don't have a shower at this little beautiful beach in Grand Cayman there's the reason that it's beautiful is because there's nothing there at all, right? And so we're sitting there, we're all looking at each other, and I'm just like, what are we going to do for the next seven or eight hours? Because, like, we're stuck here. I mean, we can go back to the ship, but, like, who wants to say that's what they did? They, they came out to the most beautiful beach in Grand Cayman, stayed for 45 minutes, and then went back and got on the boat. Like, we don't want to be those people. And so we tried to make it adventurous. My wife started playing these games with the kids, started doing sandcastle stuff. My 8-year-old wasn't into it at all. He was like, look, we got to go explore. we got to go do something. I can't just sit here for the rest of um, the, 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 the time that we're supposed to be on this beach. So I said, all right, buddy, let's do this. Let's, me and you, let's walk down the beach. Let's walk down the beach, and let's go explore. Now, all we were doing was taking a walk on a beach, but we were walking on a beach that we had never walked on before. So guess what? It was exploring. And so we started walking down the beach. 
And, man, we walked and walked and walked and walked. I, I'll bet you we walked three or four miles um, around this beach, a long way away. And I started thinking, man, my wife is probably freaking out. Like, where are you? There was no cell phone service. She was probably thinking, like, what the heck is going on? Why are you leaving me here with these other two children? Like, get back here. And so I was like, man, we got to get back. And as we started our walk back, originally we were walking away from the sun. And as we walked back, we started walking towards the sun. And there's just something about just seeing the sun. It makes it feel hotter. And I know it had gotten hot throughout the day but it was like unbelievably hot as we were walking back and so me and my eight-year-old son decided to do what you do on the beach when you're hot you go and get in the water and we decided rather than walking on the beach to get back we were going to wade in the water and we were going to kind of swim and wade and swim and wade and maybe kick the water up stand up on the beach you guys know what I'm talking about when you're just kind of chilling in and out of the water and so that's what we were doing and we were making our way down the beach coming back and my son kept getting further and further away from me now before your mom radar goes off and you start freaking out like don't let that boy go out in deep water um it wasn't any deeper the further out that you went legitimately you could have went out 100 yards and it still would have been just waist deep um, but he was getting further and further away from me and he kept like getting over near uh these patches that looked like seaweed or rock or something under the water and i was like bro don't get over there we don't know what's over there there could be jellyfish there could be shark there could be something we we we, we won't even know and so we're just going to stay away from those but he kept going back and kept doing his thing and kept doing what eight-year-olds do and that is i'm going to push the limits i'm going to test the waters i'm going to see what is out here i'm exploring right and so he's making his way out there and eventually he got out over and i could see that he was like laying up like this and he was swimming like this right here but but it didn't seem to be very deep he had his hands down he was touching and um, and i wasn't paying attention i was looking at somebody serving something out of coconuts or something like that and next thing i know he yells out to me dad help And so I turn and I look, and he's in the same spot that he was in before, but he's not moving at all. And he's got his head up out of the water, and he's got his feet up out of the water, and he's laying over the water. And I'm like, what in the world is he doing? I said, just come in. He said, I can't move. There are knives everywhere. And I'm like going, knives? What has he been drinking out of a coconut, right? And so... I'm like, bro, there's no knives out there. Just come on. He said, they're stabbing me right now. And anybody who knows my eight-year-old son, you know the look that I'm talking about. Like he got this real serious look and he like grit his teeth. It was not time to play. He was mad. He called me some names like, get out of here right now. And so I started to make my way out. And as I got closer, I was about 45 yards away. And as I got a little bit closer, I, I realized very quickly what had happened. He had swam up over um, some uh, some coral that was on the ground. The problem was is this coral was extremely jagged, extremely sharp, and it had grown up up underneath him to where like legitimately he had about two inches of water that he was swimming in and all these rocks that were sitting there stabbing him in his stomach and like scratching him. And there was literally no way for him to swim or move or do anything without getting jacked up. The problem was he was in the middle of about 50 yards of this stuff on either side and so he was literally right in the middle of this huge mess and I had no idea how in the world he was going to get out of it and so I did what any sensible father would do I pointed my finger I said you got yourself in this mess you can get yourself out of this mess I told you not to swim out over the coral you deal with it and I walked and got me a pina colada out of a coconut and sat on the beach no I didn't like like, nobody would believe that, right? Well, some of you who know me, you might believe it. But for the most part, in general, nobody's going to believe that a dad is going to see his son 
getting jacked up, scratched up, torn all to pieces, bleeding. And he's going to say, you figure it out. Best of luck. I'm going to sit over here and wait until you fix the problem. But you know what's fascinating? I can't tell you the number of people that I talk to that that's how they view God. That's their view of God. I have wrecked my life. I have ruined my life. I have made a mess of my life. I'm in the middle of a very jacked up, jaded situation of my own making. And God's off going, well, you made the mess. You deal with the consequences. You made the mess, you figure it out. You made the mess, you fix it. And once you fix it, once you get it cleaned up, once you clean up your mess up, then you can come and shore up your issue with me for being disobedient with me. Tons of people feel that way. Tons of people in this room feel that way about God when it comes to their own relationship with God. Which is fascinating. Because that would mean that I'm... And you believe that I'm filled with more compassion than God. Which means that you believe that I'm more compassionate than God. Which somehow means you believe that I'm more godly than God. And the reason that doesn't make any sense in the world is because nothing could be further from the truth. As I begin to wade out in that water towards my son it's a beautiful picture of exactly what God did for you and for me a process that he started nearly 4,000 years ago when he looked at humanity in the middle of the mess of their own making and said I'm going to wade out in the water I'm not going to expect you to fix this problem I'm going to come fix this problem for you and three of the world's major religions all agree on this reality. Three of the world's major religions, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, all believe that there is one creator God and he created everything that you see in existence. They all believe that he created a man. That first man's name was Adam. And he believed that through, they all three believe that through that one man, that sin was introduced into the world. And because sin was introduced in the world, humanity found themselves in an absolute mess of their own making that they could not get out of on their own. And all All three of the world's major religions actually uniquely believe something of the same origin. And that is that about 3,800 years ago, God started the process of wading out into the water and fixing this mess. And he started that process through a guy that most of us in the room are familiar with. And his name is Abraham. You can find his story in the book of Genesis, which is where we're going to be parked for the next few minutes if you want to go ahead and turn there. I love talking about this guy named Abraham, primarily because my four-year-old daughter loves talking about Abraham. It's really, really cute. Right now, she believes that that is actually his full name. His first name is Aber. His last name is Ham. She believes that his wife's name is Sarah Ham. That, like, legitimately, that's how it, it all fits together. And so, anytime I talk to her about Abraham, it's super cute. It's a ton of fun. But the truth is, is all three of these major world religions actually all believe the very same thing about God, about man, and about the story. Of Abraham. It's how God begins to wade into the water and how God begins to offer redemption and rescue where these three major world religions begin to part ways. But up until this point, they all believe the exact same 
thing that there was a promise made to a random guy who wasn't a perfect guy he was a flawed jaded messed up guy in fact abraham was walking through taking his his family through egypt and pharaoh saw abraham's wife and said i want her she's good looking i want her for myself and abraham instead of being the good godly man who stepped in and said no this is my wife you won't have her instead of doing that he said she's kind of more like a sister to me if you want her you're more than welcome to have her because he knew that if he didn't give his wife away that he would be killed and so he was like yeah yeah y'all just go ahead abraham was a flawed individual abraham was an individual that was filled with the same kind of fears that you and i are filled with he wasn't perfect but god had to start the reconciliation process somewhere god had to start the redemption process somewhere god had to start putting back together what had been broken by you and me somewhere and so he picked this guy 3800 years ago named Abraham, and he said, I am going to start to fix the world. It's going to be a process. It's not going to be instant. It's not going to be overnight, but I'm going to start a process of bringing the world back to me. And when he does, he uncovers something that up until this point in the scriptures, we haven't seen about the character of God, and that is how God goes about reconciling people to himself. I want to kind of walk you through the history and the story and then show you over the last few minutes that we're together the implications that it has on your life and my life, which are huge if you'll indulge me. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 12, we're going to be picking it up in verse 1 at the very beginning. Genesis chapter 12, picking it up in verse 1. And uh, this is about 1876 B.C. The Lord had said to Abram, and this would have solved a lot of problems if they would have taught Abram in preschool instead of Abraham to my daughter this year. Um, because then that would have like fixed things. His name had not yet been changed to Abraham. Um, so he's going by Abram here. And so that's what we see in the verse. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I want you to leave everything you've ever known. I want you to trust me. You've never had a a real conversation with me. We've never had an intimate relationship. I've never proven myself to you, but I want you to trust and believe in me. I want you to leave everything you've ever known and come where it is that I'm going to show you. And then he goes on to make three kind of major promises to Abraham. And these these promises are are very, very important to your life and to mine. So make sure you pay attention. I will make you into a great nation. Now, that was promise number one. At this point, Abraham doesn't even have any kids, but he's being promised that he's going to be made into a great nation, that his descendants are going to become a great nation. And actually, Abraham had a son. His name was Isaac. Isaac had a son. His name was Jacob. Jacob's name was changed in a wrestling match. If you guys remember a few weeks ago, we talked about this, to this, uh, this new name called Israel. Israel had 12 sons, which later became the 12 tribes of Israel. And this great nation, the nation of Israel, that people all over the world to this day are keenly aware of and that there is a modern day remnant of in the Middle East to this day of is the descendants of this guy named Abram. Whether you believe in God, whether you believe in the Bible, whether you believe in any of the stuff that we're saying or talking about here at church, you got to be at least a little bit curious about the reality that in Genesis chapter 12, God made a promise and all you got to do is turn on the evening news to see that promise came true and i will bless you and make your name great 
just out of curiosity, how many of you, before I introduced this sermon and started talking about this guy this morning, before you even walked in this room, how many of you had already heard of this guy named Abraham? Raise your hand. Yeah, look at that. Proof. God promised. 3,800 years later, we all still know about this guy named Abraham. You can't argue with the fact that God made Abraham's name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. All you got to do is pick up a history book to read how true this is. There was once this unbelievable empire that people saw no end in sight to, and it was the empire of Rome. Anybody ever heard of Rome? Yeah, a lot of us have heard of Rome. The problem is, is Rome attacked and sieged the nation of Israel. You had not heard of Rome anymore, have you? Right, Rome is gone, that empire is done. It's literally just a specific town in a particular part of the world where you can go and look at ruins from that particular nation. Why? Whoever blesses you, I'll bless. And whoever curses you, I will curse. Kept his promise. And then finally, the third promise. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You know what's fascinating is that all three of the major world religions claim this verse. They say that our peoples have blessed the world. The, the, the Jews say that they have blessed people because of who they are and what they've done and the presence that they've had in the world. Christians say, have you seen all the hospitals and orphanages that have been blessed, that have blessed nations all throughout the world in the name of Jesus, in the name of our faith? Muslims actually say, go and look at the Middle East. We raised up great nations and people were blessed as a result of our presence there. All three major world religions claim that the promise that was made to Abraham came true. Now, they all claim it in three different ways, but they all believe that it came true. Why? Because God keeps his promises. And if you ever need proof of that, go back and look at some of the oldest texts we have and then turn on the evening news, and you'll be reminded of the reality that God is someone who keeps his promises even when humanity fails us time and time again. Now, decades go by, several years go by, and Abram still legitimately doesn't have a son. Like, he's thinking, I know God said that he was going to make me into a great nation, that everybody was going to know my name, and that, like, I was going to have all these descendants. But i got to tell you, I don't even have, like, one son right now. And I don't, I'm getting old. My wife's getting old. She's not able to have kids. I don't know how this thing is going to happen. I'm trusting God. I'm believing God. But, man, I just don't see it coming to pass. I guess that my chief servant is going to get everything when I die because I'm not going to have what God promised me that I would have. Genesis chapter 15, picking it up in verse 4. God says these words. To Abram. Then the word of the Lord came to him The man will not be your heir, referencing his chief servant. The man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Now, for us, that verse doesn't really mean a whole lot because the truth is we go outside. We live in a suburb of a metropolitan area, the city of Charlotte. We go outside and we look up at the stars and what we count like 10, 15 stars. Oh, no, that was a jet. That was a jet. Okay, now we're down to 11, 12 stars. Um, nope, that one's Mars and that one's, yep, now we're down to like 8 or 9 stars. Okay, I'm going to have like 8 or 9 descendants. That's not really a nation. I don't know how that's going to turn into like this huge nation. That Why does that verse say it like that? It's because in the Middle East at this particular time when there was no major metropolitan area, Abram was looking from one horizon to the other, and there was nothing getting in his way. And there was no way he could have even been able to count the Milky Way that he could have seen strewn across 
the sky. And God says, that's the number of descendants that I'm going to give you. You can't even begin to count them. And just when you think you've got the count figured out, you realize that you don't again. That's how much I'm going to bless you. And the next verse is probably the most important verse, in my estimation, is probably one of the most important verses in all of the scriptures. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, because it's the first time that God unpacks the, the, the methodology in which he is going to wade into the water, come out over the coral, and redeem mankind, bring mankind back to himself, fix mankind's mess. It's the first implication of this, and we see this implication being carried out all throughout the rest of the Old Testament and into the New Testament through the life of Jesus. It's how you and I experience a relationship with God on a daily basis. Nothing has changed, and it's so important because so many people have added so much to this added so many requirements thrown on so many other legalistic clauses when this right here is the essence of what it is that we do it's the essence of experiencing a right relationship with God and it's the most important thing you'll hear all day so if you're taking notes I want you to circle this highlight this star this pay very close attention after God made that promise verse 6 Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. See, up until this point, nobody had a right standing with God. Nobody was experiencing righteousness in their life. Everybody was sinful. Everybody to this day is still sinful. Full. If you were here last week, you'll remember us talking about that. If not, you need to go back and listen to the podcast because whether you think that you're a mistaker or not, you're not just a mistaker. You are a sinner. It's not what you do. It's who you are. All of us have done so much more than made mistakes. All of us have sinned against God. We've offended God. We've done wrong by God. And we don't have a right standing with God. And nobody in Abram's uh, circle of influence had a right standing with God. This was something to be grasped, but nothing that anybody could get a hold of because nobody had righteousness in their life. Nobody had a right standing with God. Nobody was on good terms with God. And God says, I'm going to tell you how you get on good terms with me. I'm going to tell you how to fix the problems that you've got in your life life and here's the secret it has nothing to do with what you do it has everything to do with what I'm going to credit to you it has nothing to do with your actual righteousness your acts of righteousness it has everything to do with what I'm going to assign as righteous in your life here it is I want you to believe the promises that I am making over your life. And when you believe in the promise of God, even when you don't see the hand of God, that's a little thing we like to call faith, also defined as trust. When you trust God, even when you don't see God, when you trust God, even when you don't understand God, when you trust God, even when nothing in your life is making sense, when you place your trust in the promise of God over your life, it will be credited to you you as righteousness. You will be given by grace a right standing, a righteous label with God. Over your life. Now watch this. You and I are so much more blessed than Abram. Because Abram had to look 
forward to the promise of God coming to fruition in his life, we get to look back on the promise of God in our life. We have evidence of the promise of God in our life. God promised us that by the shed blood of his son, by trusting in the work of the shed blood of his son, by having faith in the shed blood of the work of his son, that we could be given a right standing with God. And you and I get the opportunity to experience the same thing that Abram got to experience. And that's a right standing with God. And we're not given that by, 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 by multiple methods or different ways. We're given that by the same method and under the same umbrella of the same method and that is through this one little word that most of us miss out on and that is faith trusting that God's promises are more prominent and effective over our life than the realities of the circumstances that we currently face now all three of these major world religions heard that, read that, you go back and you look, Christianity, Judaism, you go read a Quran, you got the same thing, right? The, the, the truth of the matter is, we all agree that this was the statement that was made. Believe. When you believe, it's credited to you as righteousness. Your faith is credited to you as righteousness. Your trust is credited to you as righteousness. But for some reason, over the course of time, we started adding all this other junk to it. We started jacking it up. The Jews... They had completely forgotten about this. In fact, their, their belief was the way that you have a right standing with God was to be a good Jew, to be a faithful Jew, to be born into the nation of Israel and then consistently and, and pragmatically ask for forgiveness of your sins through the shed blood of an animal. And when that is done, that's how you have a right standing before God. In fact, Jesus came and started sharing the good news, the hope of the gospel to the nation of Israel. And you know what the Jews said? We don't need what you've got. We're descendants of Abraham. They actually used Abraham as their reasoning for having a right standing with God they're saying because he had faith and we're in the family we're all good and so Jews got this wrong and it's evident 2,000 years ago Muslims have gotten this wrong because 600 years after Jesus came then 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 Muhammad started showing up and saying yeah yeah it is the whole belief thing and it is the whole faith thing but you've also got to do this and you've got to obey this and you've got to honor this and if you don't obey this and do this and honor this then then, then when you get to the end of your life and you stand before Allah then Allah's going to say hey did your righteous acts outweigh your negative acts or or not and then if your negative acts don't outweigh then you don't have a right standing with God and sort of adding to The simple reality of faith. See, most people don't realize this, but that's why there are are people of the Muslim faith that in the name of religion blow up buildings and strap bombs on their chest. Because they've been told and they've been convinced by radical ideology This is one of the ways they can get into a right standing with God. Yes, belief in God is important. Yes, faith in God is important. But you also have to do things for God. Here's one of the things you got to do. you got to kill the infidel. And when you do, you'll be given a right standing with God. And so they're still, to this day, evening news stuff, pursuing a right standing with God. Which is why they're making the decisions that they're making currently. So the Jews got this wrong. The Muslims got this wrong. And dang, Jesus wasn't gone for like 30 minutes and the Christians started getting this wrong. They started arguing about what's it going to take to get in. Like how do you have a right relationship with God? Well, I think you've got to be circumcised and I think you've got to follow these practices. No, you don't have to do that because those people weren't raised Jewish. Yeah, well, I think you've got to do these three things. And they started arguing about all the things that you've got to do. And man, it's like, 
I'm sure Jesus is up in heaven looking down going, I just left you jokers. I just left. And I proclaimed to you the very thing that my father said to Abram 1,800 years earlier. And that is if you want a credit of righteousness, if you want a credit of a right standing with God, here it is, super simple. It's not about what you do. It's not about where you go. It's not about where you're born. It's not about whose family you're in. It's about you trusting the promises of God over your life. And when you trust the promises of God over your life, you'll begin to see the hand of God move over your life. That's where it's at. That's all it's about. And anybody who tries to tack on anything to that, remember, that's them and not him. Because God's desire for your life and God's desire for my life is for us to have a right standing with our Heavenly Father so that we can be transformed, so that we can begin to change, so that God can begin to shape us into who it is that he created us to be. But we don't do that by our own merits, by our own efforts, by our own agenda. We do that by experiencing intimacy with the Father. And the way you are reconciled to the Father. The, the method in which he rescues us from the coral and brings us out into open water to be reconciled to him is through faith. It's through trusting in him. I didn't finish my story earlier. What I actually did with my son is uh, I swam out to where he was. And when I say I swam, I'm using that term extremely loosely because, again, we only had like a couple inches of water to work with. And so basically I was like stepping and climbing and falling and trying to like keep myself from dying Um, but I was getting scratched and stabbed and poked and prodded and I was bleeding he was bleeding and we're out there all up on this coral and we've got like a good 30 yards before we get off the coral so we just I just knew that for us to even get off of where we currently were to where it was we needed to be it was going to mean that a lot of us were going to get or a a lot of scratches and a lot of um, pain and a lot of struggle were going to take place in his body and in mine. So I don't, I don't say this to brag. I say this because every dad in the room can relate to this moment. So you know what I did? I took my son who was crying, whose lip was quivering, who was bleeding. And I put him up on my back. And I began to crawl across the coral. Now, it made my situation so much worse. <laughs> It made my ability to keep from getting scratched so much worse. But he's my son. And I'm his father. And I want nothing more than to rescue and redeem my son. Even when he's in the middle of a mess of his own making. You know why? Because I love my son. Many of us struggle with believing this and trusting this and having faith in this. But if you'll get to the place where you recognize that you have a good, good father in heaven who loves you, who cares about you, who looks at you in the middle of the mess of your own making and says, yeah, I'm still willing to sacrifice everything for you. I'm especially willing to sacrifice everything for you. And I want to come out and I want to throw you on my back and I want to bring you back into open water. 
but it's going to require you to do one thing. Trust me. Trust me. Trust that I can do a better job getting you out of here than you can. Trust that I can take better care of you than you can. Trust that I can lead you better than you can lead yourself. Trust that you holding my hand can take on far greater things than you holding no hand at all. I need you to trust me. And for the record, that whole faith thing, that whole trust thing, that doesn't stop the moment you get your get out of hell free pass. The moment you experience the salvation that God offers through his son Jesus because you trusted the work that he did on the cross doesn't stop faith. It starts faith. Then you got to walk every day in faith, in trust, in belief. And you know what God will do? He'll begin to make himself evident to you as a result of your faithfulness, your trust in his promise over your life. Does that mean that all the junk's going away? No. Does that mean that everything's going to be perfect and nothing's ever going to go wrong? No. It just means that when it does, you aren't alone and you don't have to trust yourself because you know it's bigger than you have the ability to handle. But God says, I want you to trust me and trust in my ability to handle it better than you. If you're here this morning and you've never made the decision to trust the work of Jesus on the cross with your life, to trust that walking hand in hand with a God who is greater and far more capable to take on the circumstances of your life than you are, I want you to know that you can do that right now. Before you leave this place today, you can start a relationship with God. Just in the quietness and stillness of this moment, we're not having anybody come up and in play. We're not singing a couple stanzas of just as I am. We're not calling you to the front, nothing like that. This is just a moment between you and God. And in your own heart, you can say, God, I've spent a long time trusting me. And I recognize what's been missing in my life for so long is never stopping and starting to trust you. I've never wrestled with that question, who is Jesus to me? And so obviously I've never accepted the fact that I've been called on to trust him with everything in my life. Trust in his work on the cross. So God, this morning, I'm saying I trust you. I don't see it. I don't have any evidence of it. But I trust you. I trust in the work of the cross. I'm sorry for attempting to trust myself. I'm sorry for attempting to live life out of my own standards and by my own merit. And I'm ready to trust you. You can just tell him that right now. And the only thing that we would ask you to do is before you leave, you were given a, a connection card when you walked in. On the back, there's some next steps. Just check that top box that says, I'm starting a relationship with God by trusting in the work of Jesus. Check that top box. Give us some contact info. Not so that we can show up at your house on Tuesday night. Not so that we can put you on some crazy mailing list. Just so that we can come alongside you and pray for you by name. And you can drop it in one of the black boxes on your way out today. And for the rest of us, who can remember a moment when we trusted, 
Who can remember a moment when we accepted by faith the work of Jesus on the cross? But if you were to look at our everyday existence, if you look at our life, we're not walking by faith. We're not walking trusting in him over ourselves. Then today can be the day we turn from that. Today can be the day we repent of that. Today can be the day when we walk out different than the way we came in because we walked out unsure, uncertain about our situation and we walk out trusting that even though we're still unsure and uncertain, he's not and he's got it under control. And you can tell him that before you leave this place today. Let me pray for you. God, we love you and we thank you for being a good, good father. that cares passionately for us, that pursues us, that wades into the water and over the coral and at his own expense rescues and redeems us. God, help us to be challenged by that today. Help us to be convicted for trying to add to that today. God, convict our hearts for where we don't walk in that every day. And help us to remember that it's all about our faith and trust in your promises over our life. Which are what we cling to and what we hold to even in the moments that we can't see your hand. God, help us to leave this place different than we came in because of our encounter and reminder of your call in our lives. And that's to trust you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.